Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, four colleagues from Court explore leveraging furniture as a service model to support a flexible workplace. So um, it seems like just yesterday that we were here at Cornet Global speaking about furniture as a service and space as a service. And it was really received so well and so much interest in what we're doing. We decided to come back and we're calling this podcast 2.0 on furniture as a service. Um, We're going to do some quick introductions. So I'm Melanie Jones and I focus on uh, regional business development in the eastern U.S., and um, I've had the privilege of serving on the Cornet Atlanta board this year. So I think this is a perfect opportunity to really thank Cornet for putting on such a great uh, global summit and providing this podcast arena for us. And introduce my teammates here. Hi, I'm Ron Steinbrink. I'm the director for strategic business development for the Southeast U.S. Thank you, Ron. I'm Andrea Larum, uh, Regional Business Development Executive for the Western United States, uh, covering Denver, Seattle, and San Francisco. Wonderful. And and, uh, back again as uh, Melanie's teammate here for Podcast 2.0, it's Greg Copeland, also a director for strategic business development in the, what we'd like to call the Mid-Atlantic, Midwest, snow-shoveling belt of America. So (laughs) excited to be here. Thanks again, Melanie, for leading this initiative for us. Absolutely. So we're going to start with one of the questions that we hear so often, and that is, what is flex space and how do we define it in our environment? So, Ron, let's start with you. I think it's interesting. um, On one of my uh, LinkedIn uh, posts about flex space, I was corrected by an, an individual saying, you do know that flex space is about industrial space. And I told him, said, thanks for the correction. Yes, I do know that. But what I'm seeing emerging is that there's a redefinition happening uh, for what flex space is when it really centers around the uh, office space. And I'm really going to just use the same definition that I've heard JLL use, CBRE. They're really calling it any lease that is three years or less. So that encompasses swing space, co-working, standalone. So it's a big bucket, but anything three years or less. Yeah, it's really superseded the uh, industrial shared flex space uh, of yesterday. I agree, Ron. And actually, I mean, one of the things that we talk about too, not too much more to add other than it's really creating that short-term access. You know, for, for groups and tenants and customers coming in versus that long-term ownership permanent feel. So, good points. Uh, I think just, you know, defining what, what is flex space, um, I, I think it's a partnership with landlords and enterprise clients, um, groups that maybe are not um, real estate savvy. If, if you're a tech company, you just need a space to plug and play, and that gives... Um, different companies the option to come in the space is branded and ready to go and they're not responsible for all of that real estate overhead that traditionally goes into an office lease yeah that that certainly falls into space as a service and we see such a shift um, in that direction well and, and, and piggybacking on what Andrea said yeah absolutely you know the reason why the space is mushroomed is 
the original executive suite industry that's been around forever was really targeting that small business entity. And now you're seeing large enterprise companies saying, I need a dedicated space for 50 people, but I don't want to sign a long-term lease. So the demand is out there and a lot of different uh, landlords are taking an opportunity to, you know, capture that opportunity. And I think, you know, maybe just the final point on it of it's not just the external flex space that that folks are looking for, but now they're identifying that interior flex space within their real estate portfolios and, and, and really trying to follow those same guidelines. You know, it's a business group or an operating group, 50 people or less, not going to be a long-term project. What are they going to do? And I, and I think it's a good way to look at it. Yeah, that's a that's kind of a good segue into our next point, which part of our mission at Court is to change the way that furniture is used in the workplace through really an access model over ownership. And we call that furniture as a service. Um, PropMoto just published two articles that our team wrote on the topic of FlexSpace. It's worth um, Googling and reading it. The first one was called Flexible Space Requires Flexible Furniture. And I actually wrote that one. And Ron, what was the name of the article you wrote? Uh, I wrote uh, the article's called FlexSpace is Changing the Way Commercial Real Estate Thinks About Occupancy. Yeah. So um, just we felt like it's worth the read. So the next question here is how do you see flex, or furniture as a service supporting FlexSpace in commercial real estate? Like how can we help commercial real estate teams uh, create flexible spaces utilizing our, our services? Well, I think it gets right to the article that you wrote about if you're looking for a flexible space, the last thing you need is permanent furniture. Because by its very definition, flex space means I need to be able to change and pivot. Yeah. So if you need something on a, a shorter lease length in the one to three year range or even under, you still want something that works for you but you don't want to be locked in and not be able to adapt as things go on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Greg talks a lot about uh, our, 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 your assets lines. Correct. And actually, a couple of things I wanted to piggyback on Ron before getting into the alignment is, I mean, the key words that are really addressing this and how we're trying to support customers and groups in the space are the pivoting, access, flexibility. Um, when, when you're determining you know, how to, what the benefit is of flex space, and then you start making permanent buying decisions, you're really actually eliminating any type of flex environment. And I agree 100% with Ron. And then what that kind of drives itself down into is, is something that we're talking with customers and even folks in the industry about is really the alignment of the assets within the space with the real estate strategy. Because pulling this flex space all the way back to the, its beginning, it's really defining what a group or a organization's real estate strategy is. And that's really where the flex pocket in my mind originated because they started to identify gaps in their business where we can't have 10-year leases for this specific business group to be successful. We can't have five, seven-year leases for this group because they're expanding too fast. And then the what-if questions at the end were, well, what if we started finding the six-month space or the one-year space? Who could do that for us? And there's, you know, ultimately 
on our end of it, and, and all the actual service providers end were, how do we then now align ourselves to make sure they're getting the services they need for these flex space environments? And we're doing the same thing. We're doing consulting type uh, meetings with our customers and, and again, industry folks regarding identifying the mix of assets that they have for their real estate and then properly aligning what type of furniture asset goes into each one of those groups. So 70% permanent, 20% swing space, 10% flex, and then identifying each one of the service providers and the asset mixes that go within those real estate portfolios. So that's kind of where the alignment conversation has started and kind of where it's going today, and we'll see where it ends up tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I really see, in my mind, everyone thinks of court and they think of furniture, and the furniture's irrelevant. Really what we're trying to do in this space is really align ourselves and help them execute their strategy. And, you know, yes, if you're signing 20, 10 and 20 year leases, you probably want to own the product. But as Greg points out, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. So I think we're really in a position to help have that strategic conversation and how do we help them implement that and create a space that's still their own but still has all those elements of flexibility that's really driving that decision. I think it's kind of neat that uh, you know for over 50 years, Court has been in the so-called furniture rental business and it's almost like the perfect storm where what we do now is become Necess even more necessary kind of cool and uh, the way that we consume services is changing. So now uh, I, I know I spend an awful lot of time visiting with commercial real estate teams, introducing them to what we do because they don't know. And um, so it's kind of fun to see coming full circle for us. And, and I love the, the fact about introducing teams. It's almost like the reintroduction of what we do because we've been doing it for such a long time. Once they actually see it live or, again, once they hear it live, then it's like, oh, my goodness. The applications it, are right. numerous. And not just for what we do, but for all these other groups that are supporting real estate flex decisions, it's, it's the same model. Um, okay, so let's, let's talk about this. What are some of the strategic reasons that landlords are offering flex space? and what is the benefit to them? Well, I really see two uh, main drivers when I talk to landlords. Um, you know, one is a, it's a growing market demand. So if they have occupancy issues, they certainly are looking for new tenant avenues. So this becomes, you know, if they're setting it's 97%, they don't need flex space. But for those properties that aren't, they're looking for new creative marketing opportunities. and. The two things that I really see resonate with landlords is when they realize that if they offer a flex-based solution, they can get double or triple the asking rents than an unfurnished space. And suddenly they're looking, there's a real monetary revenue opportunity here that I'd never thought about. Yeah, and, and you and I worked on a couple of projects like this, and it's not necessarily the entire building, it's just little little portions of that building where all of a sudden the revenue, like you said, double or triple. And then the other big benefit that I see is looking at the total life cycle of a customer. So those people that are in flex space today are potentially your future long-term tenants. And the good thing is you've got them kind of in incubated in your space. Yeah. So you've got a captured audience. You don't have to go find someone. 
I just want to be close to the people who are already here and make sure that when they're ready to outgrow that space, I'm in front of them talking about, hey, let's talk about your next space. Yeah, you know, the tenant representatives that are placing people in some of the established co-working, it's the same concept. They're, they're trying to provide the right solution for the moment with the long-term vision of providing that service. And the difference with the flex space and working with the furniture as a service model is that it's not in the, pre the pre-existing co-working spaces. Just, just to kind of wrap that back around, but it's right. the same thing of CRE teams providing a service that their tenants are looking for. Right, and I mean, if they have the bandwidth to manage it in-house, I mean, there's a huge benefit, as Ron said, revenue-wise. On, on the flip side, a lot of the, the landlords or the builders of these buildings are, are providing and inserting the same amenities that, uh, in most cases, not all, but they're providing the same amenities or building out the ability to have the same amenities of an operator group that's coming in because they understand um, that whether operators coming in or they're going to manage it themselves anyways, these amenities are going to be requested. So they're building it out on the front end. Uh, the second part that I was going to say about the benefit to them is it's the same as, as Ron, is it's really a revenue driver. Where are we going to go find more revenue? And I mean, again, if they have the bandwidth to do it in-house, there's a huge, huge positive effect um, on the amount of revenue per square foot they can drive by trying to manage it in-house. And if they're effective, I mean, it really then creates a new portal for them with their with their customers. And then, and I didn't add this before, but my last point on this is that if they get the chance to incubate these businesses when they're a smaller footprint, they actually get to be in front of them right out of the get-go of what their needs are going to be. And to Ron's point, they're going to grow with them. And I, and I can tell you, for even from personal experience, if you, if you get that face-to-face -face with your customer and they're telling you what their needs are going to be, and you continuously stay in front of that because they're incubating in your space, you're going to have a lifelong, long-lease customer that's getting what they want, and it's actually going to lower your long-term costs of keeping and acquiring that customer. So, Yeah, no, that's a great point, Greg. I think, um, you know, for landlords, partnering with, with flex space providers also kind of takes, again, the onus off of the landlord to have to build a space out or guess what amenities might be um, desirable. I mean, the yeah. things that were popular even just a couple of years ago are starting to to disappear. And as a landlord, you know, you're not necessarily in the, what, well, what does Gen Z want? Like, what, what's going to attract those groups to this building? Um, so partnering with a flex space provider, um, you know, really helps them make their building attractive and then yes they have that kind of captive audience and as that business grows maybe they occupy other spaces within the building but you have this other flex space already built in to kind of continue attracting different groups yeah that, that's a great point about trying to guess what the next generation is going to want instead of sinking you know money into that right. staying flexible well i think andrea also brings up a good point is there are multiple solutions here so you can have a co-working company come in and it's a standalone that's right. in your building. That's one potential solution. The other emerging market I'm seeing is joint uh, management agreements between a provider and the building who doesn't want to take on that marketing. And then there's the kind of the self-service model where the landlord is saying, hey, my building's really great location, has all these things, but I want that revenue opportunity. So I think all three of them are viable solutions. It just depends on what's right for 
one building versus another. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, just kind of closing the loop on it is it, it's really driven, ultimately, what we're all saying, what the customer, the actual tenant is going to request. Because, I mean, yes, could they get more revenue? Sure. But if they want a single bill, you know, you might have to go into an operator or, or a flex group or something like that. So, I mean, the customer's still going to ultimately drive the end the end deliverable on this, but I mean, if you can anticipate, you know, it, it is the difference to a higher probability of more revenue for the same space. So. Well, and, and probably one of the, the best examples that I've seen recently from a landlord standpoint doing this is Boston Properties. You know, they decided they wanted to get into yep. the space, they wanted to do it all in-house, they built it out, and they're doing it in their own property. So what they're doing is saying, I'm going to take a certain percentage of this building and I'm going to market it to my tenants and future tenants and you know they've really dropped in all in. So uh, I think the variety of solutions out there is just really exciting to look at. And it's exciting the uh, the companies that are aligning with court and a furniture as a service model when we look at liquid space and tenant base, some some firms that weren't around, you know, 10 years ago um, to see that vision and it's just a perfect partnership. So it's a fun time to, to be innovators. It's an exciting time. <laughs> uh, maybe we have time for one more question. So what, what do we all think the impact uh, will be from the pullback of WeWork in the marketplace? That's a bit going to have some kind of an impact on flex space. Well, I think in the short term, it's going to have a bigger impact on the lead. They were creating so much demand that it was pushing up, you know, occupancy, pushing up rates. So that demand is certainly going to go down. What I do think is going to happen, though, is it's going to create great opportunities for other people to insert themselves in that space. Yeah just like all the options we talked about. So, you know, the 800-pound gorilla out there, WeWork, is not going away, but I think them having to slow down their growth and get their internal metrics right, which I think is absolutely the right thing to do, it's going to create uh, an opportunity for others. Yeah, I think the, the outcome is going to be very positive because, I mean, again, the, the driving force that WeWork had, to, to Ron's point, the driving of the occupancy rates, everything of that was good. I mean, it, it's, it's disappointing that WeWork is, is in the situation right now where they're pulling out of, of some marketplaces and, and, and ultimately where they've ended up. However, it has now created an opportunity for those groups and those groups of operators that have taken their time, that have built up their spaces, they've built up a good customer base. They, they, I, I think that WeWork put my own opinion they were just pushing too fast too fast and tried to grow too fast and it was a marketing PR machine whereas some groups grew organically you know just really taking their time to find what their customers needs were um, and just putting all that in force so I mean time will tell what the the full effect of the WeWork I I ultimately think with the position that's happening now and them pulling out and and becoming a little bit uh, smaller in the marketplace is, is a huge positive or an exciting time for the rest of the operator groups for them to take advantage and really not clean up, but just kind of, again, evolve that that co-working space. Yeah, know? evolve to provide what, what tenants are demanding. Correct. You know? I mean, WeWork did a great job and a great benefit for the industry because oh, it 100%. created awareness. Yep. And 
And over time, that awareness, as we've been speaking about this whole time, is there's a lot of different ways of creating these kind of spaces. But I don't think we would be here today if we were hadn't done what they did. Right. That's, so. a, that's, a, that's a great question. It's like, would we even be talking about co-working in its in its you know in famous you know last words of, of the last PR machine that just would we even be saying co-working or be talking or full? I, I doubt that we would be at the level that we are right now. You know, wholeheartedly. So. Well, I know it's, it's time for us to, to wrap up. And I, you know, what I, I think we really want to um, leave the audience with is, is, is a few thoughts is, you know, the, the whole flex space and is morphing. You know, everyone's saying that by 2030, 30% of all new lease originations are going to fall in that three years or less. So that's a tremendous opportunity. At the same time, 70% of the market's still going to be that long term. So don't right. don't forget that. But I think we're we're really trying to participate in this growth. Is if you're truly looking for and need a flexible solution in the space, back to your article, Melanie. You also need a flexible furniture solution as part of. It. So however you get that, you know, I think those have to be married together somehow. Absolutely. All right. Well, we appreciate the opportunity to be here today. We'll see you next year, 3.0. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks, Melanie. Looking forward to seeing everybody in D.C. Absolutely. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.